Welcome to our second edition of McConley Nasberry's Interim Final Rule podcast. We plan to do this on a monthly basis going forward. Um, my name is Dave Blaine. I'm a partner with McConley Nasberry in charge of our entrepreneurial services group. And with me, as always, my stepbrother, half brother, Mark Heath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to need to edit that part out. <laughs> Mark, how you doing? Pretty good, Dave. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, looking forward to doing another podcast here today. So I, I am. I'm excited to be back on the podcast train. Yeah. So while we're in podcast world, if no one knows anything about McConley and Asbury, it's just a, a little brief uh, discussion on McConley and Asbury. We're a full service accounting firm offering tax, uh, test services, back office accounting, valuation, cybersecurity, SOC, SOC support, and other business consulting support. We've got offices in Lancaster. Camp Hill in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. We pretty much serve all of central Pennsylvania in uh, up through northeastern Pennsylvania and into northern Maryland. And um, can't really say much else other than we we, uh, we are a regional firm that is about 100 employees and have been around for 45 years. Nothing else to add there, right, Mark? You covered it. Thanks. All right. Well, hey, listen, we're, we're really excited today um, on our podcast to have with us Two great people from a great institution here locally in Link Bank. We have with us Brent Smith, who is the president of Link Bank. And with Brent is his regional president and somebody I've known for a long, long time, Cheryl Howard. <laughs> so, Brent, Cheryl, how are you? Doing, doing well, Dave. Great. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having us. Thanks for having us, Mark. Great. Awesome. Cheryl, it, 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 I, you know, I got to tell the story. I've known you for 30 some years. I, I've known you yeah. I've known you from when I was a teenager and I had my own little business and I'd come to the bank and you were a teller. Yeah. And you, you brought us our Christmas trees. Yes, that's right. I did. How about that? Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. So, well, well, hey, we appreciate both of you being on today. So today we're going to talk a little bit um, about lending, uh, what's going on in the lending market today, uh, paycheck protection program loans first round, second round loans, the forgiveness application process, and, you know, other other lending options that might be out there for business. But before we get started, um, let me turn it over to you, Brent. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Link Bank? Um, give us a little background on Link Bank and, you know, everything great about uh, the, the community bank that you are. Sure. Thanks again for having us. We appreciate the time. And uh, the topic, I think, is so relevant, um, especially right now as we kick off 2021 and kind of look at, you know, dealing with um, some of the things that happened in 2020. But, um, you know, Link Bank was started about two years ago. Um, a group of us that have worked together for a long time uh, decided that we wanted to start another community bank. Um, and so we raised a bunch of local capital from local shareholders, uh, which was a validation for us of the response that people were excited about possibly having another community bank. There's been a lot of consolidation over the years. Um, and we really wanted to set up a bank that was focused on small businesses. And um, so we we started in you know late 2018, beginning of 2019, and we're really a commercial bank focused on small businesses. We have an office in Westchester, we have one in Lancaster, and one in Harrisburg. Um, but really, when you know 
Andrew Samuel and Carl Umblad and I really started to think about what's what makes the link different. Because um, when you start a company, especially in this environment, you got to have something that differentiates you. You know, there were really three main things other than being a top performing bank and dealing with the transactions of banking that we wanted to focus on. And and those are really how do we give back to the community in a meaningful way? Um, so we set up a, the Link Foundation, a separate 501c3. We funded that with a quarter million dollars originally and now have given um, another hundred $150,000 to that over the last two years. So we're excited about what the foundation can do as the bank continues to grow. Um, one of our uh, other things we're really focused on is the next generation of leaders. How do we um, pro provide opportunities for you know talent of all ages to have opportunities? When you're growing, you create those opportunities um, for that growth. So we're really excited about that. And then the third thing is really how do we look at technology and innovation in a new way so that community banking has a model to be relevant for what I would say the next 15, 20 years because the environment's changing and as you heard, Westchester to Harrisburg, we had three offices. That's intentional and only having three offices just because you don't need as much bricks and mortar today. So um, we're just excited to be back. Um, and uh, we've got a pending merger coming the next year. We'll be about $800 million in assets at the end of the year. Um, and we're just really glad to be side by side working with small businesses. So that's the quick story. I could go on all day about Link, but um, I know there's other topics that we want to get into. But um, we're just proud community bankers, love the communities that we're in and serving clients. And thanks for the opportunity to share today. Brent, yeah, no, we really appreciate the feedback on, you know, where Link Bank has been and where it's going. I mean, you, you really have roots that are tied to the community, tied to this region. And there's a lot to be said about that. Um, so, you know, we, we got to thank you for what you're doing in the marketplace today, specifically when it comes to supporting small business, uh, you know, very much like McConley and Asbury, our focus is on working with small and those small and mid-sized businesses. And as we know, 2020 was a struggle with the pandemic. Um, a lot of businesses struggle, struggled just to survive, just to try to keep payroll going, just to try to keep, um, you know, employees on payroll. And there's a lot to be said about those businesses that have really rolled their sleeves up and said, you know, we're going to keep these people on payroll and we're going to try to figure out how to, you know, keep moving forward as a business. And, you know, one of the things that the, that the federal government did um, in 2020 that a lot of people know about, obviously, is the Paycheck Protection Program loans. And that, that seemed to be a real lifeline for a lot of businesses to just keep them afloat, keep them moving, but it also allowed them to position themselves to, as things start to settle out, to keep pay people on payroll, not go on unemployment, and when you know, and then have the ability to access those employees to start, you know, to start business again when restrictions were lifted and everything. So, let me um, let me ask you, you know, talk to us a little bit about from Link Bank's perspective some of the things that are going on with the Paycheck Protection Loan Program, um, maybe we could start and talk a little bit about just the loan application process, obviously seeing um, a second round of PPP funding available and also allowing some organizations that were not able to access PPP funding in the first round, um, the ability to access that. I mean, what? How, talk to me a little bit about that application process inside Link Bank and how that's working. Yeah, so for us, um, a little different this second round than the first round. Um, we're able to take the applications online and send for electronic signature and things like that, which makes it, a lot, I think, a lot easier for the clients. We're able to kind of 
get in there and look at the applications as they are submitting them and help them through that process a lot easier than we could when they had a paper application in front of them and then they were faxing things over and things like that. Um, we're also finding that this second round, um, people are a little more used to some of the information that they need. Uh, so all in all, this um, having the technology, being able to do it through a portal and, and keep it paperless for the most part has worked really well for us and for the clients. Yeah, and I would, David, I would, I would add to that too, but I think on the outside, there's still some challenges, um, not necessarily with community banks, but with borrowers still trying to figure out where, how do I get um, an application into what would maybe be a national bank or who do I talk to? And so the process for us, I think, as we talk with other community banks and our peers, people were planned and ready to go and mobilized and we're helping clients, non-clients. Um, some other institutions have decided not to do that. So uh, again, I think community banking continues to step up and just try and help people because we understand, especially now that you have the revenue restrictions, um, uh, that the people that qualify need these funds. And our whole goal is how do we get access to that as fast as we can for clients and non-clients? And uh, the, as Cheryl said, technology is helpful. And then if we do that well, you know, hopefully there's opportunities to talk about more business, but that's the most important part as LinkBank looks at, at the PPP process. Um, but yeah, there's, it, the whole process is completely different than the first round, um, for sure, with the technology we have. So, so right now, it, it sounds to me like you have a portal set up and that they can go in and, and do the application right online versus completing the SBA application that's out there and then, and then sending that into you. Is, is, is that, is that pretty much how you're operating right now? Yeah, it is. Um, and the nice thing about the way we've got it set up is we do have it set up online and that does kind of make it efficient, but we're also on the phone with clients all day. We've got some folks that we pulled out of their traditional roles and um, really have designated them to focus just on PPP. So we've got people that are available to answer the questions that come up and you can call us on the phone and you will get a live person and you will get your questions answered, which that I think to Brent's point about community banks, I think that's what we've been doing different is, you know, we're trying to keep it as efficient as possible with technology, but you've got to have the people that are willing to answer the questions because this is all uncharted territory for everybody that's using it, us, the SBA, and the and the you know community that needs it. Yeah, it's a good point. It's uncharted territory for a lot of us. <laughs> Mark and I like to say, you know, when it comes to this program, since it's, from the time it started in March to to today, um, we coined. I guess I coined a little phrase, but we use it a lot, and that is, um, you know, there's this former wrestler. Rowdy Roddy Piper that used to say, um, just when you think you have all the answers, I change the questions. And that's kind of what this program's like. Just when we oh. just when we think we have all the answers, then the SBA and government, they change all the questions and then we got to start all over again. Yes, so, it is ever evolving. Yeah, absolutely. So tell, tell us a little bit um, in regards to the application process, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the things that um, borrowers should, should understand to, in, to ensure that when they do submit their application, um, it's not held up for some reason. You know, what are some of the pitfalls that you're seeing right now when you see uh, apps for either first or second round loans? Yeah, so I think um, there's a handful of bugs that are still in the SBA system, and they're the things that are getting things um, suspended. Those are um, 
some applications that are in the forgiveness process still. So they had applied for forgiveness, hadn't gotten all the way through that process and then made application for the second draw. Some of those folks are getting snagged and the SBA is aware of that issue. Um, they're working through it. I think in the last couple of days, we've gotten guidance every morning um, about some additional things that they're doing to help resolve that. Um, it's a real common issue that we're, we're having some um, folks that are sole proprietors. So sometimes using their EI or their TIN numbers, sometimes using an EIN number. Um, and that difference is causing an issue. I don't know if you remember back to when we started in the first round, um, sole proprietors came in probably a week and a half, two weeks after the it opened for um, other businesses and they had some special rules that went with them. I think the way those applications got processed um, caused, caused a couple of bugs in the system. So we're seeing some issues there. Um, we've got some folks that used um, another lender on their first draw and are using somebody different to do the second draw. And um, if things don't line up perfectly, because you do need information on what that first draw looked like, like the SBA loan number and the amount that was advanced, that kind of stuff. If it doesn't line up perfectly, it's hard to work through those bugs. Um, little things like that. And, and we're getting there and the SBA has continued to work on it. But there's a little bit of a um, bottleneck, which is a term Brent likes to use. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> There is, we are working through it and we're getting resolution. I think we still have maybe 10 applications that are kind of in those hold right. statuses, but at least they're in line now. There was a point where we couldn't even submit them and now they're at least in the SBA's hands. So and, that's progress. And, yeah, and Cheryl, that's helpful too. And I think Dave, the one thing for borrowers to understand is that you know we're, we're fortunate because we only have 10, so we can babysit these through what the issues are. I would be a little concerned if we had a thousand of them and you didn't have staff because they're almost taking individual, you have to go in loan by loan and look at it. There's not a quick fix to fix these. So I think that's a huge um, part for us that we've been able to actually address loan by loan and talk to client by client through what the issues are and, and communicate that well. But man, if we had a thousand of them, I'd be, um, I'd have some heartburn. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing that was interesting um, that you commented about was those that have first round, first round paycheck protection loans that may not, they, they may have used them. They just haven't applied for forgiveness yet. And now they went to a second round loan and now they're being, told now it's getting kicked back because I've seen that from a couple of my clients that have come to me and say, Hey, I thought you told me I could apply for a second round loan. Um, you know, even though I don't have forgiveness on my first round loan, my bank's telling me that I, I have to apply for forgiveness. And I'd go back to the clients and actually cite the legislation from the IFR saying it says it right here. Yeah. You can apply for a second round loan, even if you don't have forgiveness on the first round. loan. And there is, um, the, the SBA's acknowledged, they acknowledged earlier, I think maybe over the weekend or first thing this week, that that's a glitch in their system. And so they've opened up a special mailbox and you're sending things through and that's, those are able to get submitted now. But yeah, that was definitely an issue. Um, we actually found that people were almost better off to have not submitted forgiveness or been fully forgiveness versus to be in the forgiveness process. Um, we had less issues if they either hadn't submitted at all or had gotten all the way through it. 
That's, that's interesting because we've I, the thinking early on was you know everybody wanted to get forgiveness right away, and then um, you know we're seeing problems with that now. So if if a client is looking to get a second loan and they haven't applied for forgiveness yet, it sounds like they should probably just continue to wait. Is that accurate? Yeah. So part of the certifications that, and I don't know that that's the foolproof answer, but what we're seeing is that works better. Um, and part of the certification is they're saying that if they hadn't applied for forgiveness, um, they have used the money and they just haven't applied for forgiveness yet. So I think the SBA wants to know that they, they've, use the first round and they're going to be applying for forgiveness, but we're seeing less issues for people that just flat out have not um, applied versus are in the forgiveness process and then trying to get the second draw. And Mark, maybe to answer your question, I think I would keep, I would find a good community bank that you can talk to somebody who knows the process and what's going on. Because if you can ask the, the SBA continues to refine their system um, as Cheryl mentioned. So uh, they're, they're opening it up more and more and some of these glitches are coming. So yeah, you might want to hold now, but you know, next week it might be the right time to do it, right. but you wouldn't know that unless you're, you're talking to somebody who's got a pulse on the ever changing kind of technology stack that, you know, we're working with interface with the SBA. Yeah. If, uh, if you can recommend anybody to let me know. Yeah. Um, so. I might know. I might know a guy, so we can talk later. All right, good to know. You might, you might know um, the bank. Okay. Yeah, because because I've also I've been focusing a lot on the employee retention credit, and we're running into problems there because we don't have guidance from the IRS on uh, excess payroll costs that are on the the forgiveness application, but aren't actually being forgiven because they're in excess of your loan amount. So we're running into problems there. So that's helpful too with the interplay with the employee retention credit to say it's okay to not apply yet uh, because that allows us more flexibility there too. So that's, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, I I tell you that, that is really a helpful piece of information because we got clients all the time that are, well, I want to get my forgiveness application done. I want to get it done. And you know, the first thing I say to them is let's just, you know, let's slow down speed racer it's going to take you 60 days to get it through the bank and then it's going to take 90 days for the SBA to approve it. And then the other thing you got to keep in mind is the banks are, are probably inundated right now with second round funding applications. So, you know, it's not as if you're going to put that application in right away and they're going to jump right on it. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's only, there's only a certain amount of resources that you have. So, you know, let's just slow down. So that's, that's good news. I mean, that that's really good to know from the perspective of, it might be better off to just hold on doing the forgiveness on the first round loan and just get your second round loan and then do it, do it, do it later. Yeah. I mean, they do have time and I will say, and I can't speak for all community banks, but I think that, um, you know, I, we are processing the forgiveness applications that are coming in, but they really pretty much have, have stopped. We have not seen much activity on the response from the SBA coming back. We, um, we have 60 days, like you said, to process the applications when they come in for forgiveness. I think we probably process ours within um, seven to 10 days of receiving the forgiveness application. They go from us to the SBA, but we've got some that have been with the SBA that are exceeding their 90 days. So um, that's, that's where I think things are really getting held up on the forgiveness side of things. 
we've seen that too with a couple clients where the the SBA has not gotten back to them within that 90 day time span. So, but I guess when you're government, you don't have to hold yourself accountable to meeting the uh, meeting the requirements that you you set forth. But let me ask you this question, you know, in regards to the application process, you know, one of the other things in that, in the Economic Aid Act um, language that was out there talked about, um, you know, this idea that if you, if you applied for your first round loan and you either A, did not accept the full amount of it, or B, maybe the, re- the new changes and the requirements of, 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 the, uh, of the new program loans allows you to go back and apply for more, you know, how, how is that working um, from your perspective inside the bank? I mean, have you seen, a, have you seen a lot of companies come back to you and say, Hey, you know, we're, we applied for a first round loan and we didn't take all the money. We want to come back and, you know, take the rest of the money or, you know, Hey, we could qualify for more and we want to re we want to reapply to qualify for more. Yeah. I actually, when they came out with that guidance, I actually thought we might see a little bit more of that. We've not processed any applications utilizing that part of the um, of the rules. Um, we talked about it just yesterday for a client that we thought it may apply for because um, they didn't take their full amount. We did not do the first draw, and that would have meant they had to go back to another bank to to do that. And they just opted to stick with us and do the full draw on the on the second. Um, flush through it versus trying to get it on the first advance. Um, I don't know what that would look like. I would imagine it would have its own set of complications to, um, to do that, but we haven't, we haven't actually processed one like that. We've talked to people about it and in talking through it, a lot of them have just opted to go with the the second draw. Many of those are falling into that 72 NICS code, um, restaurants and hospitality and yeah because there you get 3.5 times your payroll cost and that might be one of the reasons why they want to come back so yep. okay and they've got a little concern because a lot of those um you know there was not clear guidance on what that employee number was in the first round and they were putting like the actual bodies no matter how no matter it wasn't really full-time equivalents but then it turned into full-time equivalents and so now it's full-time equivalents. Right. And have big discrepancies on some of those. And so that's, it, a lot of times it's easier just to go with the second draw and not, not revisit that first one. Yeah, it would seem that to go with the second draw, especially if you decided that, hey, you know what, we're going to do a second draw loan. We're going to base it off of the same information we based off the first draw loan. We're going to use 2019 payroll. And the bank, I want to use the same bank. I want to use Link Bank, and Link Bank has all my information. It seems to me that that would, that if, if they went that route, the second draw loan, as long as they meet the revenue requirement, which I'm going to ask you about here in a second, yep. you should that, that that loan would get expedited pretty quickly. Those do go go through our side of the system much faster, and we've had a lot of success getting those through to approval. Yeah, which just seemed to me you're going to get more loans based upon that 2019 payroll cost than you are for 2020. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying not all of them, but I would say a good bit of them probably, and that would expedite the process. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about this uh, new revenue requirement um, that you need, to, you need to kind of meet for uh, the second round loan. Yeah. Um, so the revenue requirement is 
the the businesses have to show a 20% or 25% reduction in revenue same quarter 2019 to 2020 or they can choose to do the full year which that was new um, in one of the most recent updates um, when they provide the information to us and they can give that to us in a variety of different ways they can pull it from their quickbooks or accounting system they can give us bank statements however they want to give it to us we're accepting it the borrowers do have to um, sign it and date it certifying that it's accurate um, and then submit it the the guidance says we don't have to to have that um, verification when we collect it for loans of under $150,000. However, to submit it to the SBA, we still have to give it those numbers. So how we're not supposed to get the verification and then still be able to submit it, <laughs> yeah. not quite sure. But technically, we wouldn't have to have it, but um, we are getting it for everybody. And in a lot of what we're telling people is, look, it's just a way to, it's just one more way to kind of reassure yourself that this loan is going to be forgivable. So let's just test it and make sure that, that you meet all the criteria. Um, yeah, because I was going to say, I think, uh, I think the, the way the guidance reads right now is that if your loan's 150000 or less, you don't technically have to give the revenue data for the loan application, but you still have to give it at forgiveness. So to me, it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to do the calculation to get the loan, you might as well submit it with the loan application and not wait till forgiveness. I mean, it, it, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't. Yeah. 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 So, and most people are, um, we've gotten like zero pushback with, from clients when we're having that discussion and explaining that, yeah, you're right. You don't have to give it to us until then, but we still have to know it now to enter it in. So you might as well just give it to us. Then it's, we have it, it's on file. And when it's read time for forgiveness, you do the short form and you're off and running. Right. Now, what kind of information are they giving you around the revenue requirement? Are they giving you like a, um, they giving you like a uh, like GL detail, or are they giving you like a financial statement detail, um, or is it tax data? I mean, what what exactly um, are you looking for when you're looking for verification of the revenue requirement? Yeah, it's really varying, Dave. It um, most people are are going into their QuickBooks and pulling an income statement and giving it to us that way. Um, so we're getting their internal. Um, accounting statement that's just showing their revenue. Um, and technically, it's not revenue. It is gross receipts. And I think that that clarification is um, kind of follows along the line so that they're not showing the, um, the PPP loan as coming in as income. So they don't have to show that, obviously. Um, and some of the loans or some of the folks in their accounting systems, when the loans got forgiven, they were pushing them up to revenue to kind of offset the expenses. Right. Yeah. That's an important, that's an important uh, comment to make there. And that is, uh, you know, that the proceeds from your first round PPP loan do not get included in your revenue calculations when you're trying to do, when you're trying to go for a second round PPP loan. So you want to extract that. Plus you also want to make sure that you don't have in there things like anywhere where you do a, uh, you know, you, you have sales tax withholdings or you're doing some type of withholding of some sort. Um, you know, what you might be a um, you might be a um, travel agent or an insurance agent or something like that. And you're kind of like the conduit of those uh, funds they don't get. They are not included in your gross receipts. They're they're excluded. 
But right. what is including your gross receipts is purely your business activity. Yep. And for most people, that is their revenue line, but you, you do have to be careful. Um, and I do slip into saying revenue a lot and it really is gross receipts. And for some, for some businesses, for some models, that makes a big difference. And Dave, I, I would add there too, that I, I've counseled clients that now, you know, this second round PPP, I think, you know, the first round was a little bit more open. Um, the rules were changing stuff got safe harbored, but I think with this one, you know, and again, the enhanced scrutiny and the chances for fraud and just these second round or the round we're in right now being pulled and flagged. I counsel people that if you've got a, an accountant, make sure that you're working with them. Um, or if you've got a tax preparer, or if you don't think about having one, because it's kind of like your taxes, right? If you get flagged in the future, it's nice to have a, a professional partner who, you, you know, can help explain it. Cause most of these small businesses, they're running their business um, and they're providing data. So I think it's critical that people think through the right partnerships too, especially, you know, in this revenue reduction calculation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, I'll throw this question over to Mark and, you know, we you know, Mark, one of the, one of the, um, some of the language inside that IFR talks about the definition of gross receipts and how that's kind of built up from the IRS tax returns. Um, you, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that, Mark? Talk about, you know, what, you mean what, how it's backwards? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, there's there's two interesting pieces. So uh, one, it is backwards. Uh, they tell you to start with, I think it's line eight or line 10 uh, on the 1065, which is your total income number. Um, but your cost of goods sold has already been backed out. So it just tells you start with that number, add back your cost of goods sold uh, to get your gross receipts. And, and that, that does capture everything. The one thing it does not capture um, and from every reading I've seen should not be captured is any capital gains or losses because with with uh, flow through entities, that would be a, a, a separately stated item. So it's not included in there, which is, is that makes sense that it's not included. But if you're a C-Corp, it doesn't make sense because with a C-Corp, there are no separately stated items. So capital gains and losses would be uh, caught up in that total income number. So uh, there's nothing specific on that. Uh, but if if you are a C-Corp, you know, we're, we're thinking you just, you kind of start from the top instead of doing the backwards calc. And you say, here are our sales, we're going to back out returns and allowances, and then all other items of income, uh, interest income, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we're going to count in there, uh, but we're not going to count capital gains and losses. Yeah, so that, that whole revenue calculation, it, it could trip you up. So, you know, going back to what you were saying, Brent and Cheryl, that there could be more scrutiny on these second round loans for um, SBA audit if you're not careful about how you calculate this this revenue number. So you really need to be specific about what that about how that language reads and what what that calculation should look like. And I've only seen one where it's close, uh, where if depending on how you did it, you're at like twenty four and a half percent or twenty five and a half percent. Uh, for the most part, you know, it doesn't matter uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but you just you need to pay attention. If you are close, make sure uh, you have your I's dotted, T's crossed. Yeah, for sure. You know, that, the, the whole audit process leads a, uh, leads me to another question for uh, for uh, Brent and Cheryl. And that is, you know, what is how much activity have you seen on the SBA side when it comes to loans that are being pulled for audit in um, what are some of the most common pitfalls that you're seeing when uh, for SBA for loans that are being audited by the SBA? So, 
I had mentioned before that we've got a couple out there that are over the 90 days and they're the bigger loans. They're the ones that they had said, we're going to look at everything over $2 million. And those loans are, are sitting. They aren't, we haven't seen forgiveness come through for them. We have not had um, much, if any, um, request for audit um, verification documentation. They, the SBA hasn't come back and, and really needed a whole lot from us. Um, I think that they're still um, trying to chew through some of those bigger loans um, that I think some of the bigger banks probably did. Uh, we didn't get into much more than slightly over $2 million on our, on our biggest PPP loans. So I think that that kind of stayed under their radar a little bit, but we have a handful that are still under um, review. And we don't have any specific asks at this point, but they're still reviewing them. That's the, that's the label they have right now. Are you seeing any, you seeing any stress on the part of the SBA on trying to get through these loans at all? I mean, obviously we've just talked, we talked a little earlier about a couple of loans that we all know about, um, you know, clients, whether it's clients or, you know, uh, loans that you've done that have been delayed more than 90 days by the SBA. I mean, are you, are, are you hearing anything inside the SBA about, um, lack of resources, inability to really get through these loans. Um, it just seems like it's a daunting task at yeah. the government level to try to get through the mass quantity of loans because, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's like 5.2 million loans that were issued and, that, it, it, you know, wow. <laughs> that's that's a lot. And, and the SBA doesn't have a broad and deep staff. They do have some, um, they, they beefed up their staff for sure since, um, March when all of this began, but um, they've got a lot going on and they definitely, you can definitely see that they are being taxed. Um, we have been fortunate to be able to get connected to a couple of really great folks at the SBA who have been super helpful to us, helping us get things resolved for clients. Um, they are as responsive as they can be, I think, because I know we're not the only ones tapping them on the shoulder and asking them to please help for our clients. Um, this time, you know, I think in the first round, the tempo, the pace of people, the, um, the fear, I think that was out there, people just had no idea what was gonna be happening because we were happening because we were in just such unprecedented times. Um, this time, I think people are feeling a little more confident that we are getting close to um, maybe a close of the worst of this, but still need this help to get us through to that to that point. And I think people feel a little more familiar. There's not as much panic um, and stress around this time, but to your point, the SBA is definitely reaching their max capacity again. Um, yeah. Think about it. They're doing they're doing the PPP loans, the new the second draws. They've got forgiveness running out there. They've reopened the EID, EIDLs. They um, all of the deferrals that they did for the seven A's and the five hundred fours and all of their normal course of business, those are coming to an end. So that all that's going to change some of their process. Plus, they've got their normal business that they're doing. So they have to be coming close to, to bursting at the seams, but they're, from what we've seen, they are, um, 
plugging away at it and they're, they're sticking with it. It's, it is a little frustrating when you've got a client that's sitting and you can't get an answer, but um, those are few and far between. For the most part, we're getting good response. Yeah, I got to imagine with changing the legislation that basically loans of 150 and less or, or you know, for all intensive purposes are forgiven. I think that that kind of clears that off their plate somewhat. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean that they can't still open those loans up and take a look at them. But let me ask you this question. Um, you know, this goes back to uh, the employee retention credit, which, you know, I, I don't know how familiar you are with their employee retention credit, but, it, you know, it has to deal with uh, payroll and payroll costs. And, you know, one item that we're seeing, you know, with the change in the legislation that came out at the end of December um, allowed for this employee retention credit to be able to be utilized in 2020, even if you got a PPP loan, you just couldn't use the same payroll that you had the PPP loan for or forgiven for to get this credit. So, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is, you know, we were actually advising our clients back then. (laughs) It sounds like 10 years ago. But we were actually advising our clients then, it's probably better off to take, you know, for your PPP at the time, take the 24-week period, use all the payroll costs for the 24-week period, apply it to your application, and and you should get full loan forgiveness. It'll be easy to get it through the bank because it's all payroll. There's no, you know, there's no utility cost and rent cost. Now, looking back at that guide or looking back at that advice, we're we're saying to ourselves, wow, with the employee retention credit now available, some of these companies that could have gotten loan forgiveness in 12 weeks, but chose to use 24 weeks worth of payroll, um, you know, they're losing out on this opportunity for this employee retention credit. And I think there's got, I think inside the IFR guidance uh, for these loans, it it allows for the ability to go back and revise your forgiveness application. Um, Have you had, have you seen that at all by chance out of any companies that have come back and said, Hey, we use 24 weeks of payroll cost on our loan forgiveness, but we only needed 12. Can we revise that forgiveness application? Yeah. So I think what we've seen, and that's you, it is interesting because you guys were not alone in giving your um, clients that guidance. We actually were telling people the same thing was, Hey, you can use 24 weeks and that's going to make it really simple because you won't have to provide copies of utility statements and, um, copies of your lease and your your loan payments and things like that. So we can just do this really simply. We just do payroll. And it does turn out that um, because these rules and the things around this have been ever changing, um, that that didn't in the end, when it all shook out, end up being the most efficient way for them to do it. So we have had a couple of people come back. Um, The one thing to remember is you as long as your forgiveness application hasn't been forgiven by the SBA, we can get it back. You can change some of that and then we can resubmit it. But once it, once it crosses that threshold and they, they physically grab it, we can't get it back to, to change okay. that forgiveness application. So basically if, if you've already gotten forgiveness, you there, you're, you and it's going through the SBA and everything. There's nothing you can do at that point. Right. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. There's got to be some relief there because, you know, I, I can think of, of situations where somebody did not use the 24 week period. Uh, they used the eight week and the time where they were shut down coincides with that same eight weeks. And so they would really lose out on the employee retention credit. Uh, I think most clients who did use the 24 weeks, 
uh, they could still be 100% payroll and still be fine. Um, yeah. But because uh, there's there'll be enough spread out there, unless uh, you know there are examples where somebody is eligible for all three quarters, uh, all the last three quarters in 2020, or they were shut down for the entire year if they're in you know whatever kind of hospitality industry. Um, but that, yeah. So, well, I guess the message is we just got to keep pressing the IRS to say, Hey, let's do what makes sense here. Tell us what we can do so we can get it done. Well, and that's the thing, right? And they've shown to allow reason to come into play and, and adjust kind of what some of the initial rules were if you, if we can make the case for it. And that's, that's just it. As these things come to light and people are using them, then it's like, oh, wait a minute, we could have done this differently or we could have done this better. And I think that's why this has changed so often is because we've had that flexibility. Um, and I think that that's a good thing, as frustrating as it might be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. and two, I, although the IRS themselves haven't been very helpful with this, um, you know, we all know they said, Originally, the the expenses deducted um, or paid with the with the PPP loan are non deductible for tax, which is the correct tax answer if you read the law. Um, but it would have been nice if they would have just said, "Hey, we're going to follow with the legislative intent and allow for the deduction." Um, but then, it, but then at the end of the year last year, before the final legislation was passed, where they said, "We don't care if you've even requested forgiveness. If you expect to have the loan forgiven, you can't deduct those expenses at all in 2020." That was yeah. a pretty hard line that just did not make sense. Um, so I, I think we're going to need the SBA and the Treasury to put up, put pressure on the IRS to allow this. I don't think we can just leave it up to the IRS. No, I think um, I think you're right. And I think that that is um, exactly where it's going to have to come from. Our legislators, um, people are going to have to you know continue to raise their hand and continue to give the case um information that that justifies why this doesn't make sense and you know to the point of you know the way they changed what if they could use the expenses for um deduction or not they we got that done and it did come to the right resolution so um maybe i'm maybe i'm just being optimistic but i i think that um there's enough people that this is important enough too that I think that we'll get it. We'll get it right. We may not have it right a hundred percent right now, but it's working pretty well. And I think that we can just continue to to lift the things that aren't quite lined up yet, and just and I think they'll we'll get those figured out as well. Great. Well, great. Well, Brent and Cheryl, um, we appreciate your time today. Any um. Any closing comments from you in regards to, you know, what you might think uh, we might see in regards to future changes in regards to the Paycheck Protection Program here? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more changes that are coming up uh, in some sort. You know, it'd be nice to get a little feel from you what you think they might be. And, you know, what other things might small business owners need to know um, as, we, as you go forward in regards to maybe what some other lending options are out there? Yeah, thanks, uh, Dave. That's a great question. I, th- I think as far as what's coming, um, it's really hard to know. I think with the change in administration, um, we're, it's still early to know what that's going to look like, um, you know, for small businesses. And and because of that, I think I would respond with saying, you know, the businesses that we have seen be the most successful, even the ones that are challenged, 
are the ones who have the right partners around them. Um, and they have the right advocates for them in different areas that they can continue to focus on their business and their employees and they can get outside help. And that would be the biggest thing, whether it's PPP or other borrowings is, you know, make sure you're with a bank um, that can help you. And like I said earlier, have a pulse on what's going on in that area and um, can get you an answer is willing to and wanting a relationship at the end of the day. Because in, in central Pennsylvania, the markets that McConnell Asbury is in, the markets that Link Bank is in, I still think relationships matter in the small business space. And I think they actually create an advantage for those that have the right partnerships. So that would be my biggest thing um, is surround yourself with the right people, um, lean into those relationships and check out linkbank.com. We've got our, our, you know, our full teams up there. You can reach out to Cheryl and I directly or Nick West, who's running our, our PPP program. We're all ready to answer questions um, and advise in any way that we can be helpful. Cause I think if we all do that together, then, um, you know, every, the central Pennsylvania is going to win and the small businesses of central Pennsylvania are going to win. So that, that's kind of the exciting part, I think, of, of where we're at is together, you know, if we all team together, um, bank local, do your accounting local, like that sort of yeah, thing. Exactly. We can, great, great things are yep. in store for Harrisburg, Lancaster, central Pennsylvania as a whole. And I think, you know, we can solve problems together, but we've, we've got to pull the right people to the table um, that can actually move the ball down the field. You know, Brent, I can't, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, you want to, we should be working local. We should be focused on local opportunities. And, um, you know, again, I think you hit the nail on the head. So I want to say thank you to Brent yourself, Cheryl, to you for your time today um, on our podcast here, uh, the interim final rule. Uh, Mark, anything you want to add? Well, all I'm going to add is, I think my favorite phrase from 2020, which I just experienced was, Hey, Mark, you're muted. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've never thought I'd hear that phrase so much in my life and I never want to hear it again. Now I, I, I I thought this was great. This is some good commentary. Um, I think we have some good resources pulled together here. So let's, uh, let's just do all we can to help out these businesses. Yeah. So I, I would say to, to the listeners, Feel free to reach out to Link Bank. Reach out to Brent Smith, Cheryl Howard at Link Bank. They'll be more than happy to help you with uh, any types of PPP opportunities that are out there for you, as well as any other types of funding or lending opportunities that are, that are out there for you. Again, I want to I want to thank both of you. I want to also say thank you um, to Mark, my uh, colleague here. Uh, again, uh, this is our uh, second podcast, the Interim Final Rule. We, we will be a uh, podcasting on a monthly basis in regards to different subject matters that are relevant to the business environment. And we would welcome all listeners to continue to listen in. And um, without further ado, I'll say thank you very much and have a good day.